Before this episode of your favorite 1517 podcast begins, please take a moment to listen to this trailer for 1517's newest academy on faith and reason featuring Dr. Adam Francisco. You can sign up for this academy after listening to the trailer by following the link in your show notes below. Enjoy. What role does philosophy play in theology? What can we know about God by looking at nature? Where does reason end and faith begin? And do science and religion necessarily conflict? These are just some of the questions posed by Christian thinkers across the ages. This course covers both the way these and many other questions have been debated across the centuries and how we might apply the wisdom of the past to the questions of our own day. The assumption is that Christians are irrational, that Christianity is something akin to a cleverly devised myth and even an enemy of science. Examples supporting these stereotypes and caricatures can certainly be found. That's not the complete picture, though. It's not even close. It's quite the contrary, for Christianity has long expressed itself in ways that are reasonable and even philosophically sophisticated. It has long defended itself by appeals to evidence, and certainly has a long history of interacting with science. In fact, modern science finds its roots in the Christian tradition. So what does reason have to do with faith? Philosophy with theology? Religion with science? The answer is a whole lot. This course introduces you to just some of these issues as it explores the contours of some of the most basic topics of Christian theology, the issues of faith and reason. Fly a podcast about living freely and a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friends and colleagues, the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg and the Reverend Professor Jason Oakland. And today we are going to be talking about twos. Um, Lutheran theology likes to, to do things in twos. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about what it means then to sometimes live with paradox, uh, to live with. Uh, tension a bit uh, between these various twos. We can talk about two kinds of righteousness, two kingdoms. Um, Christ is in two natures, right? This is, and not all these are peculiar to Lutheranism, but Lutheranism really plays with them and emphasizes them. And so this episode is going to be about twos. We did not talk about a free-for-all, so I don't think we're going to have one. I, uh, I'm going to turn the air off when we start playing the music um, because I... It's not warm enough outside to justify it, I, but I forgot to turn it off before now. Um, but do we have a free-for-all, or are we just going to skip that? I think we can skip that. Okay. Uh, Jason, is that all right with you? That's fine by me. All right. Let the Bird Fly is part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. Encourage you to go take check out all their good stuff at 1517.org. Um, and with that, we will have perhaps our shortest introduction ever, and we will make our way to the main topic.
And that brings us to our main topic, which is twos. And not just twos, but twos in Christian and specifically in Lutheran theology. Uh, this one's been on my mind a bit because I've been working on a paper on two kingdoms. Uh, Jason has been going to grad school at a seminary that's pretty well known for its historical emphasis on two kinds of righteousness. Um, and Mike has written a baptism book um, and is working on a theology of the cross book. Well, he's, he's written it, but it's, it's done. <clears throat> going through the process in which he talks about um, the Christian lives with two realities, that there's simul justice at Picatar as a pretty big focus in there. There's plenty more twos than that. Uh, Lutherans often talk about the, the three uses of the law. Luther most often talked about two uses, the theological and the political use. Uh, with Christ, you get to our doctrine of Holy Communion. How can Christ be present truly present, really present in the sacrament. Well, Luther does a lot with the, the two natures of Christ. And sometimes when we get these these twos, they can be very helpful because they, they do help explain some things. But they can also be maybe a bit confusing or perplexing. And this is where I think sometimes Lutherans can get attracted to um, either more Reformed theology that tries to take the rough edges off the twos and go further in explaining them, or to, let's say, Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy uh, that really um, melds the twos in some ways or fails to, to emphasize them in nearly the way the Lutheran theology does. Um, after all, most Lutherans, if you ask them, what's the... Uh, how do we read scripture? They would say, well, God gives us two words, law and, and gospel. And so uh, I'll throw it to you guys maybe to start off, and if Michael, may, if I may be so bold, maybe throw it um, to you first because I think this, this fits when we're talking um, worship, baptismal life, theology of the cross, stuff you've been doing. Um, maybe, maybe first off, if you would be so willing to, to hit at a little bit what we mean by um, when we're going to reference paradox and what it means for the Christian to live with with paradox. Does this mean just shutting down your mind? Um, anything that you would have to say to that? Well, let me start with the idea of mystery. So uh, when we normally use the word mystery in our day-to-day -day lives, we're thinking about something that is unknown but can be known. And so you read a mystery novel, and at the end, there is a solution, and everything gets wrapped up in a nice little bow. Um, but, and, and it's probably part of our modern-day life with our um, elevation of human reason being autonomous, right? Reason is the, the ultimate uh, arbiter of truth. But I think when you think about Mary uh, pondering these things, uh, when you think about musing upon the mysteries, a mystery, by definition, is actually the exact opposite. It's something that cannot be figured out, right? And you kind of... It, it can be known as yes. far as it revealed, yeah, but not figured out. So it is revealed to us that Christ is 100% human and 100% 
uh, divine, but that's not something that we can figure out. And you reference kind of like a, you know more of a reform leaning, like trying to figure this out. And and we've said this before. And not only the reform do that, but but historically that was, I would say from a reform perspective, a strength of their confession sure. it was something that they saw as very important. Yeah, and it's a very human thing. Right. Right. But we've said this before that America and what we would call Protestantism, and I would, for our purposes here, define that anything but Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, and Lutheran. I would say Lutheran's distinct from modern-day Protestantism. But both American Protestantism has largely known only the modern period, which has elevated human reason. And so it's, it's not just, oh, the theology is, is, is to blame here. It's the time. It's the era. And so we can think about double predestination, right? Yep. And trying to, if this, then that. Instead of saying, if this, actually we don't know. We're just going to let God speak here and, and be fine with mystery. Be fine with, and, and we throw around reformed and 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 And, and what I meant before stuff. was classically reformed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and rightfully we can... In an academic setting like this, or a pseudo academic setting like this, we can we can have a discussion about this. But we want to. The caveat is, there are people who are formed who are wonderful, right? right. We're not we're not we're not necessarily judging somebody's and have very useful th- theological resources. Oh, and I will say it again: we can learn something from the Roman Catholics, and we can learn something from the Baptists, and we can learn something from the Orthodox. Right? Let's not be so arrogant. But we rightfully would point out that there is a desire that reason, that things be made reasonable, right? Now, a lot of that, of course, is going to come out as a reaction, sometimes an overreaction to the misuse of mystery in the medieval church, right? Like only these people have access to this mystery kind of thing. All right. right. So, And this, this will, to be fair... You can find many of these tendencies within Lutheranism too, with rationalism. Sure, and then the reaction. So rationalism says these things have to be rational. Moves more towards natural religion. You're going to get off the rough edges of paradox and mystery, while at the same time, then Pietism will react the opposite way and say you guys are spending too much time thinking about these things. We just have to to do Christianity. Uh, yeah. So a mystery, which is simplistic. Again, there were Pietists who were very yeah. good theologians. Yeah. A mystery... Like by this de- guy right here. <laughs> mystery, mystery by definition is a mystery, but these things are revealed to us, and we are not only allowed to, but encouraged to ponder these mysteries, to muse upon the mysteries. And I'm okay with that, because if you had a God that you can completely understand, that's a very small God. And, and I think maybe one other element that, you know, the that this is this is stuff that can't be figured out but these mysteries can be um known through revelation but then there are still those there there are some things that remain hidden yep. right that, that that we won't know um because god has not revealed them and he only knows them and someday we will fully know as we are fully known right, right? I, and and by the way life's a mystery faith's a mystery there's a lot of things love there's a lot of things that are, even from a scientific point of view, like 
That's a mystery. We haven't figured that one out. Um, and it's, it's humbling in a very good way and kind of maybe don't really have that going on like the early reformers did is the, the holy awesomeness of God. And I use the word awesomeness in the, in the, in the classical sense, awe-inspiring. So how does this get played out? Well, it gets played out in these many paradoxes where we go, okay, law, gospel, uh, human, divine, uh, kingdom of the left, kingdom of the right, theology of cross, theology of glory, uh, uh, sinner, saint, these things that are, they're difficult. They're difficult to uh, uh, fully explain, right? But we are called to, again, muse upon these mysteries. And it may seem at first glance, well, you're trying to put everything into a black and white, you know, this uh, black and white kind of thing, a, di- uh, a dichotomy, right? And so we want we want to be careful there that we don't fall into, we're just going to categorize everything so easily. Right. At the same time, in order for it to be truly a mystery and a paradox, you have to have those two things, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Otherwise, if you try to, you try to mesh it up and say, well, you get into kind of an ancient one, everything's one kind of thing, right? Well, then that's, that's a, a, an easy, cheap way to explain everything. It's all one mystery, who cares, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have, and this is where the word tension comes in. Tension comes in, so. And can I, <clears throat> uh, go ahead. you say your thing because it's probably on topic. All and then right, I'm going to sure. say an off topic, but on topic, but I do have a news bulletin when you're done. All right, no, I was just going to say um, that uh, those, those kind of, those two things that stand there um, in tension um, are, are, in many ways, you know, that this doesn't neatly resolve into, you know, this isn't, you know, kind of a, a neat little dialectic that always ends in, you know, perfect, right, neat, tidy little synthesis that now we've got it all figured out. And, and then I can go live right. my life perfectly. Yeah, exactly. Right. That, that it is these two things in tension that um, so often are, are what helps make sense of those ugly, uh, messy, challenging portions of life right you know that that mystery that is life to say how 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 can this be how how does this work how you know um it's in recognizing hey there are these two things um and you know there's this tension between that that yeah i mean it's it's only in it's not if you're looking for something neat and tidy you're going to be very disappointed but at the same time what important tools these um uh these two things are these these twos are to help try at least to kind of find some order find yeah. some sense yeah. not, o- yeah. not only will you be disappointed you will become one dimensional oh yeah. You'll, yeah you'll be you'll be something less than what you were created and the one that probably sticks out the most since it's it's so close to us in our day-to-day lives uh is sinner saint mm-hmm. right it's sinner saint okay First, can I say the news? Mm-hmm. Pee Wee Herman died. Really? Oh, that's, that's Paul a, Rubens. Paul Rubens, yeah. He uh, he had a few rough patches, but he also, I think, brought many people joy. Um, and so rest in peace. Yeah, Paul Rubens. Pee Wee is on to the final 
big adventure. He rode his bicycle into heaven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> can, I, huh. can I tell a story? Uh, it's an appropriate Pee Wee Herman story? Okay. It's unfortunate you have to ask that, but I mean, it's... A, so, yeah. uh, some of our listeners are familiar with... Uh, Mike's smiling, so this is what you say. Familiar with the um, Wells Connection, which is the video that our synod puts out for all the people to, to watch. We even we even have the... Yep, I'll cue it up. We don't have to do it right now. We, we but no, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i softly play it in the background okay. while you're... All right. And, I'm going to uh, turn my phone down so in case in, anything in, inappropriate. In high school, you know, once a month this came out, and in high school for chapel, we would... Um, they would uh, put this video, this VHS tape on <laughs> and project the, the synod's propaganda videos. No, that's, that's too harsh, but uh, these videos. And uh, we had a... A couple people who will rena- remain uh, nameless, Tyler Peel, and <laughs> friend of the show, friend of the show, <laughs> is uh, his autographed picture on yeah, the, spli- the Wall of Fame spliced in. Oh, there's spliced someone we got to get on that Wall of Fame too that we forgot. I'll have to remind you after. Spliced in Pee Wee Herman in the middle of the the synod's thing, and so you know, three hundred people are students or whatever are watching this. This video with this very music, and uh, all of a sudden, Pee Wee Herman comes on for like ten seconds and then off. And it was such a good joke that even the faculty <laughs> it was the pl- applauded. If it. I remember the story, it was that when he was he was doing the laugh, right? The guys remember he I had that funny laugh. <laughs> yes. Yep. But, so, uh, thanks for the memory, Wade. Yeah, you're welcome. For the Let's let it finish the words of the song, and then I'll bring it down. Hi, this is so-and-so. That's when it would come in right in that song for the Wells Connection. All right. I have the sound down on the board for the Bluetooth in case I accidentally hit this, but I will leave it cued in case we need it. Okay. All right. Now a few things to say um, along these lines, and I'll throw it back. First, um, Jason mentioned an important word, dialectic. That's a word that sometimes people will throw out with regard to law and gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, Law and gospel can be spoken of as a dialectic, but we shouldn't speak of it. You don't mean it in the... In the sense of that this is a systematic way to now create a narrative. And then there's a synthesis and then right. another, yeah. Or that we're going to resolve the conflict with this. Right. Law and gospel. Or is progressive to right. some goal. Yeah. Yeah. Law and gospel for the sinner as he experiences them remain in conflict. They seem two contradictory words, right? Um, but that's what Jason means by a dialectic. And so these, are, these things, the twos we're talking about are not dialectics in the sense that they resolve the conflict or that they now provide a clear narrative, a, a, a systematic answer to these things. Um, the other thing is, uh, when we're talking about the twos, we're not talking about, sometimes uh, Mike will mention to Carter, the Cartesian divide, right, which is like subject and object, the, the, the knower or the, the mind and matter, right, material things. Um, this also isn't that where we're saying, well, one thing is, ab- is absolute and the other we can only kind of know somewhat subjectively. Um, when we're talking about these twos, these are two objective things, right? We're objectively sinner and saint. The law is objectively true. The gospel is objectively true. We live in, in two spheres uh, or two kingdoms. It's not They're not figments of our imagination. They're concrete experiences. There are two kinds of righteousness. We could talk about more than two, but, but they're, real, they're real things. So we're, we don't mean that either. And so you mentioned, Michael, musing on the mysteries, and I, and I like that. 
And just as importantly, right, Paul says we're to be stewards of the mysteries of God. And, and the th- mystery is Christ. Right. And so I think in this regard, too, that's helpful to keep in mind and that these twos are given to us to be stewarded in Christ for Christ. Um, that is, they're things that uh, are to help explain and guide the Christian experience. Um, because the concrete Christian uh, exists in these twos, whether he or she realizes it or not. Right, That's another aspect of this, is, is, is these things are things that um, you can't be Christian without living within. Now, maybe you don't realize you live within them, or maybe you don't realize the tension. Maybe, you, maybe you're a Christian who has a really bad understanding of the two kingdoms, and so you, you've conflated the two, or really bad understanding of sin or saint, and so you have a terrible doctrine of sanctification, or you have no doctrine of, of sanctification. Um, and so, right, these, these are um, they're stewarded mysteries in Christ. Um, they're not going to explain everything. In fact, that's why they're paradox. Um, but they're also not one above the other. Even when we talk about two spheres or two kingdoms, we might say, well, the heavenly is eternal, but that doesn't mean simply more important for the Christian now um, in that he or she should neglect the kingdom of the left which is an error that some have made in Christian history where you get this monastic impulse, or vice versa, um, that the state becomes preeminent to eternity because um, that is overshadowed, which has happened. Think of in the 20th century in many places with nationalism, fascism. Uh, and, and so these, these are, dear listener, right? You, these, these two things are just realities, um, and there's a tension between the realities, which is what sometimes makes the Christian life difficult. Uh, and maybe here I'll throw it to to you too. Why don't we take maybe theology of cross, theology of glory, those twos there, um, and get a little bit at how that can make the Christian life seem so difficult precisely because um, the theology of glory is very natural, while the, the- theology of cross runs contrary to it. Now, here it's a little different than the theology of glory is not true, right? The, the theologian of glory is deluded, um, but maybe that can become... That but it's, our, it's a reality because this is who we are. Right. Maybe that can become a segue into the other twos then, but I think that's the one we buck the most against because it seems contrary to well, our and I think natural theology. I mean, the, you could wrap up a lot of things in there, like law and gospel, um, even even to a certain extent, uh, two kinds of righteousness and, and, and the symbol. Um, you know, they, they are a little bit different, but the theology of glory and a righteousness by law, law itself, are all on this side of the column. And in the other column, or on the other side of the column, would be theology of the cross, gospel, and, and saint. Um, so one way to think about it is that you have two lenses that you put on. You could even with that do Christology, where an emphasis on the human nature of Christ often leads um, to a very different theology than an emphasis on sure. the divinity. Yeah. Um, although that could go in both ways. But right. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking especially, though, in, in lines of um, glory and cross. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
and you can go overboard right. in stressing the humanity so that the theology of cross becomes you could be a, a an error. You could be a theologian you of could, glory. Like, yeah, the medieval penitential on system. Yeah, one, on both sides. All right. So w- what I somewhat helpful is to think of two lenses. So I, I'm I have these glasses that I'm looking at the world through, and what I mean by that is uh, everything's colored by that, but I have a framework for understanding truth. So it's an epistemological thing. How do I know what truth is? It's also an anthropological thing. Who am I and what is my relationship with God? What is my my abilities and my potential? Um, it's also a theological thing uh, because it, it very much has to do with law and gospel. So if I look at the, through the lens of glory, and by the way, this is really, really, really helpful when it comes to day-to-day life. And when I look at the, the world through the lens of glory, I take in empirical information through my senses and I come to a reasonable conclusion, or so I think is a reasonable conclusion. So bad stuff happens to me, God must be angry. Good stuff happens to me, God must be, be happy with me. Now, this, this reason, of course, is not pure. This reason is going to try to justify itself. And so the, the, the glory story or seeing life through the, the glory lens is to say, I can do this. I can do this. And I got a plan. This is uh, Sarah uh, trying to uh, carry along the, the line of the Savior through her maidservant and her husband. And what, what happens is a child of human devising is born. And since it was under the law, um, this ends up being a prison, right? Because you cannot be righteous. So this is where we also can connect the, the righteousness by law. The cross lenses is when I look through and see everything through the, the through Good Friday. So I see through my empirical, uh, through the empirical evidence that have come through my senses that's bad, ugly, unjust, unfair, the crucifixion. And yet we call it Good Friday. Now, why can I call it Good Friday? Not because I was able to determine it on my own that it was good, but because God spoke to me. So revelation over reason. There's another two, right? right. Revelation over reason. And there I see... Magisterial use of reason, yeah. ministerial use. Yeah. There I see that um, I cannot do this and it would actually be really 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 bad for me if i try to do this on my own and that salvation has to come from outside of me so when i see life through the lens of the cross and i say oh i have this disease i don't go with my glo- the glory story and say well i didn't do well enough I'm in a wage system. God blesses or curses me according to, he pays me the proper wages according to my life. But rather I say, if God can make his cross eternally good, and he promised to make my crosses good, I may not understand how or why, and in fact I need to be very careful reasoning how this can be good for me, but I'll trust God's word that it can be good for me. If for no other reason, if for no other reason, then he's beating the false faith out of me. And even in the process of doing that, we have the two in play of I'm at the same time sinner and saint, 
And so I might be, if you ever find yourself and you're going, I really do feel like God's mad at me. I know I shouldn't think that. That's another two at play, right? We, we are often um, conflicted within ourselves. This is Romans 7. So that I intellectually know that it's, it's not biblical to say, well, God must be mad at me because of this and to, to go into theodicy to try to give some narrative. Yet at the same time, the flesh quickly does that because our natural opinion legis, opinion of the law is like the apostles say to Jesus, why is this man born blind or whatever the illness was? Did he sin or his parents? Um, so even that conflict you have while wrestling with that, that's your dual nature. Yeah, the the... I mean, it's, it's not an exact parallel, but it's pretty close. The theologian of glory is the sinner, and the theologian of the cross is the saint. And I don't mean like judging good works and bad works, and the saint does righteous things just because he is, he is righteous. By definition, a righteous person is going to do righteous things. But the sinner is an unbeliever. Right. And the saint is a believer. And it doesn't mean that the sinner is not religious. No, not at all. The sinner is just not a Christian. Or, or <laughs> not or not very reasonable right or not even delightful right or outwardly kind yeah but the sinner can be extremely devout just not with the gospel yeah so i mean you could you could see a theologian of glory being very very pious Mm -hmm. extremely pious pelagius was very pious so but not i assume (laughs) yeah but not seeing things through the lens of the cross right Jason, you want you have a two that you'd like to take us to or discuss? Uh, <clears throat> I was just thinking there are a number of things, but uh, um, I was just kind of thinking about the the you know and the, the glory and cross bit, you know, tying back to theology, the um, Christology, excuse me, a little bit, and um, you know that the the perception I think we talked about, but just that. The, the expectations that come along with that, you know, that, um, you know, a, on this side of, on this side of Easter, right, you know, seeing that, that, that which we understand that makes that Friday, that horrible Friday good, um, then, you know, there's that perception which brings that expectation that, well, then now that Christ is glorified, now that Christ has won, well, that should be us right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but missing that, um, the, how that played out in the life and ministry of Christ, right? And, and how, um, how that plays out for us, too, that, you know, I mean, you can talk about, you know. Christ's two states, his humiliation two states, and his exaltation. The now, now versus then, you know, sight, faith, you know, there are a bunch of those things that tie in that too. So, so that, that was just something too, uh, that as just kind of adding maybe just, just a, a, a little bit of, to the thoughts that we were talking about there. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if there's one that you specifically want to talk about next. I mean, we've, well, we've, I, I had one I could throw to you if I, that would be all right. Well, I, I, this is maybe one of the things that just, so like the work that, that, I was doing this summer. Okay, that's what I was going to bring up. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. It was, uh, you know, um, the paper that I was focused on was kind of looking at, you know, the the key, uh, the hermeneutical key. So the key for interpreting things. For interpreting things, and especially interpreting Scripture that Lutherans, um, 
that that Luther kind of uh, I would say certainly um, dis- I don't know if discovered is the right word, but certainly pioneered its use was that idea of one gospel, right? Um, which we've touched on a little bit already, but you know how quickly you know that becomes th- the lens um, through which you know um, not only Luther but many of those that followed him you know looked at the scriptures and then how that tied to you know some of those other things too that that we were mentioning you know the idea of um, sinner saint and theology of glory versus theology of the cross and those those type of things but but that was uh, I had a, a chance in that re- in working on that paper to, to do some reading in the commentaries that um, Johannes Bugenhagen had put famous adiaphorist <laughs> famous adiaphorist for some no, known almost only for his adiaphorism uh, for some uh, but you know and and again just to remind our uh, listeners you know he was uh, active in Wittenberg he was a student at the university uh, very early on was uh, um, involved in uh, teaching there uh, as and also pretty early on as far as the Reformation development goes was called to serve as the pastor of the city church in Wittenberg so not only from the teaching side of it but also from the very practical side of it he was involved with um, the teaching and administration of the the Reformation and how how quickly or how quickly maybe how thoroughly that that understanding of law and gospel um, was present uh, in his explanation of scripture and some of that was some of the commentaries that I read were ones that he were was working on pretty early on we're talking before 1525 so this is what first less than the first 10 years of, of Reformation um, since uh, the 95 Theses, of course, um, were posted. And then uh, a couple of them are from later in his life, 1550s, maybe where some of those uh, adiaphorist concerns start to start to raise their heads. But, uh, but this idea of, you know, you're, uh, as far as from a Lutheran perspective, if you don't understand these teachings, these these two words, these uh, the teachings of law and gospel, um, the the scriptures in many ways are going to are are going to remain a, a locked book um, to you, and you're going to end up um, misreading and misperceiving and misunderstanding, you know, so much of what what they've said. And it's kind of interesting in a couple of the commentaries. There, where he's, where he's saying, um, you know, man, our our opponents just can't, they, they can't grasp this because they don't understand this, the, these two words, the the two teachings of law and gospel, and um, so it's not a surprise for us to us that they get this wrong because they don't quite understand this law gospel thing. So uh, I think that's important for us to to think about too. That and and I think. For Lutherans now, 500 years after um, Luther, uh, how that has almost become second nature, right? That that again, talking about kind of the the realities that we live in. Um, you look at the scriptures, you read the scriptures, and it, you almost automatically think in terms of law and gospel, but 
you don't necessarily even realize that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And and you're doing it um, because these the 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 two words, long gospel, are words to you. Yes. As sinner and saint, right? Yep. And and that's where sometimes the same word can function as one of two words. I always um, use with my students the example of the passion of our Lord um, and the crucifixion, right? And so we can look at the cross of Christ, and I can see the cross of Christ as both law and gospel. Mm-hmm. And if you look at our Lenten hymnody, right. it's used both ways, right? It's our sins that have done this. Um, and yet at the same time, it's a powerful symbol of love that he voluntarily has endured this for us. Um, and so what, what Luther rediscovers, if we want to use that language, uh, with using long gospel as a lens, a dialectic, however, whatever phrase we want to use, um, is a way of um, stewarding it, applying it, of pastoring, and of of um, appropriating the word in the Christian life. And so these things thus become um, appropriate foci, foci, focuses, foci for study in a somewhat theoretical way and in a somewhat abstract way in that we can say what is law, what is gospel. What is sinner? What is saint? What is church? What is state? Um, but they're they're only useful for more intellectual, abstract, theoretical study, insofar as they do not become divorced from and find their ultimate end in appropriation, in application, in proclamation. Is I mean, is that fair? Yeah. To say? No, I think that. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, one of the interesting things that we that we touched on that was kind of a break um, in, in the course that I was taking that was kind of one of those breaks in the Reformation was um, like Catholicism from the time of Aquinas uh, was focused so largely on the question of what what a thing is like and, and so and this is maybe one of those I don't know if this is exactly a two but it's definitely two different sides of of, of the theological coin so to speak that that the focus for the roman catholic theologians were what is it and then when luther comes along the and so it kind of said that could be you know maybe sapiential you know kind of the idea of understanding and and um understanding what a thing is but for luther it becomes existential in the sense of what does it mean for right. for me for and, you and just to avoid anybody because yeah. some people out there every time they hear existential right. just Isn't they that, jump to yep. existential list it Which, becomes existential in the sense of the christian never encounters this experiences it considers this outside of the christian's objective existence yes. this side of their casket yes as sinner saint as you yep. name it right exactly and I think that's kind of an interesting to think, uh, which ties into that, what, what you are saying before, the idea that um, this is so much about, well, okay, it's not just an, an abstract concept or an academic exercise or this is, has, a regular, has, a, has a immediate daily impact for me. None um, of these, none of the mysteries or things that we talk about only knowing from Revelation that God threw out there 
were just like God being like, hey, want me to blow your minds, guys? Like, here's this really trippy thing. Yep. They all have an end purpose or goal. Yep. Even that God reveals himself at as Trinity. Yep. Um, and, and people have done very deep mm. studies on Trinity, and Trinitarian theology can be fascinating. But even that, God's doing for proclamation, for relationship with him, for baptism. Right. Yeah, and that was that was the context. I mean, of that discussion because I mean, our class was focused on largely um, the Nicene Creed, and of course, trin- Trinitarian <coughs> questions are things that are you know being wrestled with there, um, and just kind of how people have looked at that and studied that. You know, um, so you you did the class look at all three or all four creeds, or just the it was largely so the 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 course the was four creeds. Jason would be. Apostles, the Apostles Nicene, Athanasian, and Sparkle. I was going to say, oh, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, This We Believe. Oh, well. <laughs> I don't think... Um, For our non-Wells listeners, the, This We Believe is a, is a synodical yeah. booklet that has a bunch of the sentence positions on things. Yeah. It would be kind of like the brief statement for Missouri. Right. Yeah. Where it would be the, the go-to document probably yeah did they they didn't examine this we believe no did not examine this we did believe. you guys at least look at the wells q a at all or the sparkle creed or the wells q a so okay um, so only three creeds we're going with and and we are the main focus of so this is one it gets taught different ways depending on who's teaching it this course but the the focus there was largely the nicene creed and and part of that was you know uh especially how um some of the Roman Catholic theologians have assessed this because they're they're wrestling with some of those questions and we say, why are they even asking some of these questions? Well, some of it is they're looking at it from a little bit of a different right different um, view. So uh, but yeah, so that but it, talking about some of those Trinitarian concerns and stuff like that, certainly that was that's how that like the sapiential, existential, the what is it versus for you, for us, and even know, distinction. And so much of the, the history of, of, of Trinitarian theology and, and Christology is tied up in the times when it happened. Oh, right, yeah. Right? It's, it was never just like, let's have fun to have fun. It was connected to the experiences that people were having. And, and, and you know, there's a reason that Arianism appealed more to certain groups than to yeah. others. And that's not to say one is biblical truth and one isn't, but there, the... Yeah, I think that's one of the things that, you know, um, in the, the, that course is like, Arians were shockingly biblical, um, and, and, you know, um, very biblical in some of their, the arguments and stuff that they were making. But that idea of it was the times, and it wasn't necessarily the, the we want to deny Jesus, but, you know, just wrestling with, well, what does this mean that God, if we're talking there's one God, what does this mean that, well, now there's, God has a son, and right. how how do uh, that's what scripture says but what does that mean right and the orthodox uh, are saying you're trying to do more with the mystery than we've been called to do yeah yep. we're, we're trying was, to confess yep. it as it's been revealed yep which is why in the east especially trinitarian theology often proceeds from the standpoint of what a thing is not right rather than what it is cuz yep. you can you can rule things out sometimes more than you can define them yeah and yet you can't you can't 
live only in what exactly. things are not, you know. And right. Mike tried and for like a year. Oh, yeah? <laughs> we call that the lost year. The lost year, yeah. And then um, the, but then talking about like the times, like why is it that law and gospel become so important for Luther and the reformers? Well, that was something that was thoroughly confused, right, at, the, at that time. And the, the gospel was almost missing entirely. Um, so, you know, that's where that becomes such a, such an important distinction yeah. at that time. And we, I don't think we have to do a, a bunch on the, the two kingdoms or two spheres now. Um, maybe after I give my symposium paper, we can do one, but I don't want to give away my thunder for my paper. But um, maybe one we can do in closing uh, would be two kinds of righteousness because I think this is one that can be confusing to people too. And... Um, there's a, there's a place for this, um, and then there's a, a, a time to say that's uh, um, not the only lens, right? But when we're talking about the two kinds of righteousness, and Mike hit on it a little bit already, we're talking about civic or civil. People tend to say civil, but I like civic better because we tend mm-hmm. to talk about, like, my civic duty. Yeah. Right? Um, civil righteousness and divine righteousness. The one is received purely as gift. I'm, I'm purely passive. It's received through faith, which is not um, something I conjure up, but which Paul says is the gift of God. And then one that is active. Uh, our confessions, the apology can talk about civil or civic righteousness being the, the righteousness of the philosophers. Where you can look at, at someone like Aristotle, uh, and his virtue ethics can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. You can look at the Stoics. And the church fathers at times are appropriating Stoic thought because it just seems to fit so well with the New Testament, not appropriate in the way that they're making it doctrine, but, but these things can come in. Um, and, and that, I think, talking about like the, the philosophers or, or, or those who were not Christian but still doing um, good, good things from an outward yeah. perspective, helpful things towards society. Yeah. But uh, I think Augustine was the first one. Augustine, who, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, Adiaphorus or not. You know, I mean, Augustine, like Augustine. However you want to do uh, But um, the idea, wasn't he the first one that kind of labeled, but those are those are the the glittering vices right. of the yeah. heathen and that the idea that they may look really good, but they're still sin because right. they don't come from... And Luther and Melanchthon faith. talk about they yeah. never achieved what they, yes. what they held forth. Yep. But that doesn't mean it's without value. Right, um, right. This can be, as a, as a country, right, part of what we want to do in, in raising good citizens mm-hmm. is to ingrain um, solid value. We don't want old people getting beat up, you know. We, we do want to give our, the pregnant lady a seat yeah. on the bus if we're traveling in a responsible way. Um, we do want to respect our elders. We don't want to steal. And not everyone's a Christian in 2023 America. Right. Uh, so these aren't bad, but when they enter into the realm of sanctification, sometimes there can, there can come confusion so that you can have churches who will run whole programs or series that are basically aimed at, like, fixing your morality. Mm-hmm. But at their core, they're not much different than what you might get from Aristotle or Oprah. <laughs> right. um, while on the flip side, you can have churches who completely um, neglect the fact that we are embodied human beings and there can be very helpful things that civil righteousness or civic righteousness can teach us regarding habits um, and other things. So, for instance, Aristotle might be helpful for me um, 
trying to cultivate virtues. But for those to then be Christian and virtues wait, and good wait, wait. works. And Oprah? How maybe. is she? Oh, maybe. Is this another big two, Aristotle and Oprah? Yeah. On the, I mean, is that, I don't, do we have to get into that one or? It, uh, <laughs> there was, there's, a, there's a video I saw and I ended up watching it where the guy who used to do bum fight videos <laughs> where they would pay, um, uh-huh. I don't think bum is politically correct, homeless people, uh, unhoused uh-huh. people to fight. Dr. Phil had him on, and so the guy shaved the top of his head and dressed up exactly like Dr. Phil. And then Dr. Phil got mad. at like They showed the video of the, the bum fights, and then <coughs> he's like, you're a bad person. You're just exploiting people for views, whatever. And the guy's like, but isn't that what you do? <laughs> and then <coughs> Dr. <coughs> Phil threw him off. But I'm sure Oprah <laughs> is much better than Dr. Phil. Yes. But yeah. my point is, that's not sanctification um, right. in the sense of that it is... Um, a good work in God's eyes through faith that it's proceeding from Christ. Now, can civil righteousness help me mm-hmm. to live a Christian life? Um, of course it can. Um, often good citizenship aligns with what God would have us do for our neighbor. Uh, but where this can become very important is sometimes we have, um, when we're dealing with fellow Christians, we have to remind them, you're, you're caught up in your, you're confusing your civil and divine righteousness. Um, and you need to remember that your righteousness is a gift. Um, it's something that God has given you. It's it's who he has declared you to be. Um, because anytime we get in the realm of the law, which is what civil righteousness is, we can, we can pretty easily then begin confounding law and gospel. Um, and so, so here, I think, can be helpful reminders for us. Um, two, it... It's the same as should the church um, be helping to create good citizens? Sure, we have a, a large parochial school system. And I would hope that students who come out are, are as good of or better students than students who come out of the public school system. Uh, but because they're, they're Christian as well, right? Mm. Because as a Christian, we want to honor neighbor, love neighbor and honor right, our, yep. our government and, and live as a good citizen. Uh, and and so um, why is that? Is that because we've taught them civil righteousness? Well, sure, but it's also hopefully because they're they're confident and free in their knowledge of who they are uh, in Christ. I'll throw it to either of you. We got um, a little bit here, and then we'll wrap up. But anything on the two kinds of righteousness that would you you would hit on in this regard? Michael seems like he's been deep in thought. So. Um, two kinds of righteousness is is is. Essential to understanding, I think, the gospel, but it, it can be a little difficult just the way we, we speak about it. Um, like you can talk about as active or passive. You can talk about as, uh, like you said, civic. Or, But at the core, it's two systems. One is I'm right with God and the world because I did law, or I'm right with the world because Christ gave me this righteousness. That righteousness becomes passive and goes out into the world. Now, the righteousness that goes through me out into the world may look no different and, in fact, very often is something less than right. my neighbor who uh, is a Mormon or something like that. Or even, you know, like like a follower of some, you know, uh, Marcus Aurelius or something like that, a Stoic. That's not the point, right? That's not the point. Um, and it's not, civic righteousness doesn't do anything for your relationship with God because... And remember where we get this two kinds of righteousness, it comes from St. Paul's letter to the uh, Romans, 
where he's building this argument up into there's a wage system and there's a gift system. Righteousness by law is the wage system. Perfectly great for school and for running a civic uh, society. But it's not love anymore. And so it culminates where St. Paul says, the wages, you want to be in the wage system? Mm-hmm. Wages of sin is death. The gift, the gift system, uh, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. From there, you who are righteous will do righteous things. And this is what you're after with the parochial school stuff, is that not just because they have learned the three branches of government and have been a good, made a good citizen and learned some virtue ethics, but because that's who they are now. Right. Right. Jason, yeah, I, <clears throat> you're the St. Louis student. You're supposed to be an expert on this, <laughs> right? Two K R. You guys covered it well. I think that, uh, I mean, it it is a really that that is a key um, to, uh, you know, understanding that uh, what it means to um, be, you know, Christian and what that means to uh, live one's life, and and I think. Uh, it always has to um, begin with uh, understanding the the passive nature of that because the it's the active that is just so ingrained into us, right? That that um, that's the default setting, and um, we're, we're we want to work that way. Uh, we want we want we want things to be that way we want to approach the the world that way uh we want to approach god that way we want them to deal with us that way at least that's what we think um but then um paul makes very clear uh don't don't really work out so well for us if that's the case and and uh when we truly understand that the the nature of that gift and what what freedom that brings man what a what an incredible thing right yeah, I was I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago, and it came up. I can't remember what the setting was, and someone was like, "Oh yeah, you know they blame Paul for that." And often, uh, almost anytime someone doesn't like Christianity, hmm. they'll blame Paul, right? But I think this is where, as Lutherans, I mean, are, are very Pauline. We take Paul's epistles to heart, right. and when you really understand Christianity, what you understand that often Jesus is like poking at the twos, he's mm-hmm. pulling at the thread, like. The rich young ruler, rich young man comes to Jesus, says, what must I do to be saved? Why doesn't Jesus just say? But like he pokes at mm-hmm. it, he, he pulls at the, at the, at the thread. He's, he's uh, again and again, he's, he's doing this. Uh, why do you call me good teacher? Who is good? Or, or just dead? like a dead tree and, and a live, live tree. He's talking about two kinds of righteousness without being exactly. a systematician. Yeah. And so he does this again. And then what does Paul do? Paul then unpacks that. Yeah, and so many of Paul's epistles um, have one or more twos that they're wrestling with, right? Colossians, the divinity in, in the human nature of Christ, and how these two relate. Romans seven, I mean, Romans covers all the twos basically. Romans <laughs> thirteen, two kingdoms or spheres. Romans seven, the simile used to sip a cutter. Galatians, law and gospel, but also I would say two kinds of righteousness. Um, he's unpacking these these things. Um, and the reason is, isn't, isn't because Paul just was an academic theologian and he wanted to keep publishing or perish. Uh, it's because these things came up in these congregations. They, they sprang from congregational life and the individual Christian life. And so 
for me, this is one of the strengths of Lutheranism, uh, is that Lutheranism is willing to confront reality. Call a spade a spade. Right, to own it. Um, and then to say, uh, the second bold step, to say we can't exactly do the math on it. Right, it's not our job to completely resolve it. Biblical math is different. Right. <laughs> uh, and so what is our, our goal? We're going to proclaim, mutually console, um, parent, friend, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna carry out all these things in the light of these things. Um, we are gonna apply and appropriate them as best we can, which we're never gonna do perfectly. Right? Luther says if you can properly apply law and gospel, you deserve a doctor's hat. That's either Luther or Walther. I think it's Luther. Right. I think it's Walther, but he credits Luther. Okay. So you know, uh, probably Luther somewhere. Hopefully. Yeah, I think Luther somewhere, but I think it's become famous. Through author. Through author, okay. Yeah. Anyways, uh, the same as the, the Christian in the two kingdoms. I, this my paper's looking at two thousand years of them of us trying to figure that out. It, we'll never do it perfectly, but we will um, we will be more useful to our neighbor by recognizing these things than if we and then if we don't, mm. um, and maybe avoid some dangers, some real pitfalls, um, by uh, remembering these things which God has revealed. That's the only way you know them as well. And it, it might just, uh, dare I say, and I think I, do I have permission to dare it? Dare it. Dare I say, it might just help us let the bird fly. Another round, another round, oh, set him up, another round, oh, set him up, another round, oh, one more round, oh, get me down. 